Two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus, and they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them, but their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stopped looking downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know of the things that have taken place these, these last days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said to him, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, how our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. And besides all this, it is now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came back and reported that they had indeed seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged him, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that, while he was with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem, where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. If I were to go to everyone and ask, why are you sitting in that pew right now? I would probably get a lot of different responses. And no, I'm not going to do that. Have no fear. But some people might tell me, because going to Mass is the right thing to do. 
or because it's part of my identity as a Catholic. Or maybe I want to set a good example for my children. Perhaps even, I don't know, I just don't want to end up in hell. Fair enough. In, in college, my reason for coming and sitting in the pew was essentially to go wife shopping. I'll give you one guess as to how well that worked out for me. The understanding of that question is that the alternative to sitting in that pew is being somewhere else. For example, we could all be at brunch somewhere. I'm sure somewhere in New Albany you can find bottomless mimosas at this time. But another angle to that question, another approach to why are you sitting in that pew right now is this. You're sitting in that pew because the altar is not big enough to hold all of us. I think that's the real reason. I think truly we come to Mass to place ourselves on top of the, that altar, which is where we all belong. Because at the end of the day, we aren't just going to Mass to check a box or to jump through a hoop. We're going to Mass to make of ourselves an offering to the Father and to join that offering to that of the Eucharistic sacrifice. To make our offering of self in union with Christ's offering of himself that he made on the cross. I would argue that that form of offering is the most important form of participation at the Mass that we can do. A form of participation that exceeds even the listening, saying the responses, singing, standing, kneeling, sitting, offering the sign of peace, all of those things which are good and a form of participation at Mass. I would say that offering ourselves is the highest form of participation and what is truly in the Church's mind when she asks us to participate fully in, in the Mass. Now at the Mass, there must be a priest. You can't have the Eucharistic sacrifice without a priest. The priest has to offer the sacrifice, and he offers it on behalf of the people. But there's something that the priest cannot offer when he offers this sacrifice. You. You come to the Mass and you are important at the Mass because you bring something to the Mass that no one else can bring. Yourself, your offering, which you are enabled to do by the virtue of your baptism. When we are baptized, we become priest, prophet, and king in our own way. It's different from the ministerial priesthood, certainly, but it's still related. God gives you authority of your own spiritual life, your own life. You can make an offering of your life in a priestly way by the nature of your baptism, which is very important. No ministerial priest, no ordained priest can make that offering on your behalf. It's something that you have to bring to Mass, and it's something that, if you're not here, the whole community misses because we can't offer it for you or on your behalf in your place. 
So why is that important? Why is it important that we make an offering of ourselves to the Father as part of Mass? Well, for one, if we don't make God God, we will make ourselves God or something else entirely. If we don't keep God first in our lives, we will pursue something else inevitably, maybe the next flashy thing that comes before us. And inevitably, unfortunately, this would result in our destruction. Because we think of idolatry as something that the ancient Israelites dealt with and something that isn't part of our lives these days. It's kind of a foreign concept. But I would say idolatry is still something that's very much with us. It just takes different names, whether it's the pursuit of pleasures or consumer goods or wealth. Whatever we sacrifice to often is usually wherever our idols are. But not only do we come to Mass and offer ourselves to the Father to avoid offering ourselves to the wrong thing, we offer ourselves during Mass because that is the means through which we are saved in light of the resurrection. Certainly the door is already open to us through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But this offering of ourselves is how we put one foot in front of the other to walk through that door. We have a loving God who wills our salvation, who wants to give us good things. And so we need to offer to him everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we want. And God will take it and he will order it towards our very salvation when we give it to him. And that's something that's easier said than done. Because when you actually pray about that and think about that and what that looks like, making an offering of everything you have to God, it's kind of a scary proposition. We don't preach a prosperity gospel like some churches that say, if you just do this, everything in your life will be rosy and peachy. No, we have a history of saints who have suffered greatly. And the prospect of giving ourselves to God knowing that we still may suffer, it's a very scary thing. And it's understandable for us to be afraid of that. We are beings who experience limitation. We know we are limited. We've been in defense mode since the fall of man. We know all too well our vulnerability and our nakedness. And we hide from God. We cling to earthly things that we have some sense of reliability with. So the prospect of offering God those things, it's very difficult, it's very scary. Because we know, generally speaking, that earthly things are for the most part pretty good. Not all of them, but everything is mostly pretty good, or at least can be used to a good end. But God isn't trying to deprive us of anything. And in fact, it's usually us who unwittingly are depriving ourselves when we hold on to things and hold back from giving them to God. We deprive deprive ourselves of the things that God wants to give us because our hands are grasping what we are holding on to and they cannot be open to receive. 
I experienced this myself when I started discerning priesthood. I had many doubts, and most of them revolved around this paradigm of losing things. You know, what is God going to take from me? That was kind of a question. I wasn't maybe necessarily able to articulate it in that way, but that was a question that was in the back of my mind. I mentioned I had this desire to get married. That's healthy. That's good. I desired to have a career, also a good thing, raise a family, wonderful. But I still experienced this doubt in the context of, pre- of, of pursuing priesthood. And fortunately, God has been very merciful to me and given me grace and built up my faith and has given me courage. And I'm standing here before you as a result of that. But this isn't an experience that's limited just to those who are discerning priesthood. I think this is a series of doubts and concerns that we all have just living a normal life of discipleship. There are some things in life that are not compatible with a life of discipleship. Maybe ever, perhaps like sin, or maybe from time to time or for different people or in a particular state of life, whatever. Some of the things that may not be compatible with our lives of discipleship in this moment are things that are good and just for another time. But we have the Mass as a gift to us to help us to overcome those tendencies that we adopt out of a place of fear. God comes to us out of love. He comes to us in the Eucharist to help loosen, to chip away at our hardness of hearts and to help us make an offering of ourselves back to him, which is how we fully participate in the Mass. It's something, though, we have to practice. We have to do it continually, which is why the church asks us to come to Mass week in and week out. It's not just this formality. It's not just this arbitrary requirement to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's something that the church is trying to instruct us to do. And I'll admit, I don't think the church has done a very great job of communicating the truth of this, quite honestly. This is not something I heard growing up. This, this sense of making this pure offering, or as pure as you can at the moment, offering to the Father of everything in your life, doing that with absolute trust and abandonment, and letting God take that, and letting Him provide for you and for your needs. Don't think you're insignificant and that God has forgotten about you or that you're not accounted for in his plan of salvation. You are, and he will provide for you. I promise you that. The good news about this, if it wasn't good enough news already, is this isn't something that we have to go home and prepare to do. This is something that we can do right now. We can do this in this Mass right now in this very moment, and that's something that I encourage all of us, if we have not started this, if we have not thought about this, is to begin and to prepare to do this at this Mass 